Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Friday, March the 18th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew, the end of Matthew 23, and beginning of Matthew 24. We are in the middle of Holy Week, according to Scripture, of course, and woo, we just got done. I'm, I'm still recovering from the seven woes from the beginning of Matthew 23, and it brings us back to Jesus looking over Jerusalem, which brings us to a very important part of the Christian life. One we don't talk about very often is lament. It's a word we don't speak about very, very often in our normal language, but it's a very important piece of who we are that Jesus laments over Jerusalem's lack of faith. And in our lives, we lament. And how do we do that faithfully? We'll talk about it today. And just to make things maybe a little more complex, definitely not easier, Jesus starts talking about the end times. It'll be a lot of fun, so open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome with us for the first time Pastor Michael Potschmidt of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Concordia, Missouri. Pastor Potschmidt, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you so much for the invitation. Glad to be a part of the study. Yeah, Pastor, so tell us about yourself. This is our first time together, your family and the work of the saints at St. Paul's. Absolutely. So uh, I was born and raised in Indiana, southern Indiana. That's my hometown, about an hour north of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a pastor. And uh, I would you know, play pretend pastor at home, so much so that, oh, I guess it was about first grade or so, my dad and grandpa, they built a little pulpit for me one Christmas, and mom made pyramids and stoles, and I would take the bulletin home from church on Sunday morning and come back in the afternoon and, you know, hold church services there uh, in our, in our living room and spare room. And so, um, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a pastor. I guess that made me a little bit of, um, of kind of the black sheep of the family because I came from a family of Lutheran school teachers. So I was kind of the rebel thinking I was going to be a pastor instead of a school teacher, but, uh, I don't know how rebellious that made me, but anyway, that was kind of my uh, my idea from, from a young kid. And so I went to Concordia in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but not for pre-SIM. Uh, somewhere along the, or along the way, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer instead. So I got a degree in history, political science from Concordia, Ann Arbor. But uh, through leadership experiences there, through encouragement of friends, classmates, teachers, mentors, they said, have you thought about being a pastor. And I said, Oh yeah, some, somewhere in my mind that has been, that has been something I've thought about and ended up uh, going off to the seminary in St. Louis. Uh, my first call was out to Richmond, Virginia, Trinity Lutheran in Richmond, Virginia. I spent 12 years there in Richmond. Uh, first four years was as the associate pastor there. And then the final years uh, as the senior pastor, I followed a senior pastor that had served for 30 years there at Trinity, a great congregation, a very dynamic ministry, kind of in the suburbs, the western suburbs of Richmond, and a very 
multi-ethnic ministry. Uh, when I left, it was a multi-site ministry. We had worked to support a congregation, a smaller congregation to the north of us, and I never really uh, envisioned leaving Richmond, and, and it was a great place to, to be and to live and to serve. But then uh, in 2018, uh, accepted the call and moved here to uh, St. Paul's in Concordia, which again is another uh, unique, very different congregation, very different context, but uh, mm. a dynamic and, and interesting place to serve. It's a congregation that has over 180 years of history. Uh, the, the town and the congregation have a history that's kind of woven together. Even the name Concordia came from the pastor here at St. Paul's, who was also the postmaster at the time. And so he gave the, the town the name Concordia after the seminary that he went to with CFW Walter. So that's how our, our town got its name. Uh, Lutheran education is a big deal for us uh, here in Concordia with our grade school and and also St. Paul Lutheran High School, which is something that you're very familiar with mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> and uh, and it's a congregation that even though we're here in western Missouri, about an hour outside of Kansas City, uh, we've got a very international reach with the high school, St. Paul Lutheran High School, uh, the last of the residential high schools, um, dormitories for students from around the country, but also from around the world. Over 25 different countries are on campus as students, five continents. Um, we've got the, the international headquarters of Lutheran Bible Translators, Mission of Christ Network. So two international Lutheran mission organizations have their headquarters right here in Concordia, Missouri. So our reach is pretty wide for uh, a town of about 2,500 people out here in uh, rural western Missouri. So a great place to, to live and to serve. Uh, with me is my, my wife, uh, Vicki. Uh, her mom warned her that if she went to school in the Midwest, because uh, she's from the West Coast, she, her mom warned her, if, if you go to the Midwest, you're going to marry some silly farm boy and never come back home. And Vicki said, no, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Well, sure enough, that's what happened. And uh, we've got, got two girls, and we're just having fun and enjoying ministry and life here in Concordia. Well, thanks be to God for that. Thank you for uh, reminding us of that. And and each ministry context is different, but it's same um, same reality, same simplicity. Preaching the word, bringing the sacraments, caring for souls, and that's obviously I'm I'm biased. Uh, one of the great things for me as as a pastor, my kids have me as their pastor, and so for my daughter to be there, uh, you are you're kind of my daughter's pastor. So I'm very thankful for you. And the work and reminder to listeners continue to pray for our Lutheran schools, especially the high school and the elementary school in Concordia, Missouri. So, Pastor, as we're here to be in the Word of God, uh, can you begin our time in prayer? I would be glad to. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we open and read and study your Word, we ask your blessing. Through our conversation and learning, help us to see Jesus more clearly. Teach us what our Savior has done for us and lead us to cling to him more tightly in faith. Looking forward to that day when faith gives way to sight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email. KFUO at KFUO.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. And this begins a very... uh, 
unique transition and one that's very important for, you know, Holy Week as Jesus goes to the cross. At the same time, it's very important as we're looking at the words that we will be studying today and throughout chapter 24, very important that we're able to um, filter the words that we're seeing in culture, especially when you have a war, for example, and uh, battles going on in Ukraine and Russia. Very important that when you hear other messages out there, that you use these kind of words today to be able to interpret them faithfully, to grieve faithfully, and to keep our eyes centered on Christ. So today we're going to begin by reading all of our verses, um, beginning in Matthew 23, beginning in verse 37, and we will go through verse 14 of chapter 24. As we hear these words today, it is from the English Standard Version, as we hear the word of God, the words of Christ. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and end the close of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. They will, be, they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures unto the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is our text today, Pastor. There's a lot to chew on as we look at this. Uh, how do you want to start us off? So maybe the place to get started is just to put this text into its context. You mentioned earlier that this is Holy Week here in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, he recorded Matthew did the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Jesus' big Palm Sunday entrance, that big parade back in, back in chapter 21. And it seems as if as soon as Jesus has set foot in Jerusalem, there seems to be conflict so quickly. He cleanses the temple. Jesus curses a fig tree, which is not really about a fig tree, but judgment against God's ancient people who are not bearing the fruit of faithfulness. The religious leaders, they challenge Jesus' authority. Jesus tells this parable, the story of, of two sons, the first of which says he is going to do what the father asks, but then doesn't. 
And then you have the parable of the tenants who kill the master's son who is sent to collect the fruit of the vineyard. You've got the parable of the wedding feast where uh, a guest shows up not wearing the right garment and is thrown out of the party. The religious leaders try to trap Jesus with a question about paying taxes. The Sadducees ask Jesus about the resurrection, which they don't believe in in the first place. Yeah. And so this is just just meant to try to you know trap Jesus somehow. And then there's questions about the greatest commandment and whether Jesus is the son of God. And then this text immediately follows the seven woes that are spoken to or at least about the scribes and the Pharisees. And so you see, ever since Palm Sunday and that entrance into Jerusalem, there is this growing tension, this growing conflict with the religious leaders. And, and you can kind of see it coming that there's this, there's this clear break with the, the Jewish establishment. There's not going to be, you know, some kind of a, a kumbaya moment here where uh, the religious leaders take Jesus' hands and they all kind of hold hands together, united. No, the religious leaders, they are opposed to Jesus and his ministry and things are coming to a head and, and Jesus knows it and, and it breaks his heart. And that leads into uh, the start of our text for today. You know, that's a great way of looking at this. I really like how you said that is it isn't like Jesus wasn't trying it wasn't, and, and if you really want to go back, you know, our reading from Sunday um, was about Jeremiah preaching in Jerusalem, and they're like, okay, you're going to die. <laughs> and so this, mm -hmm. he, there's been many chances for repentance. Temple has gone down. People have gone to Babylonia. You go through all of this time, the time when God was silent, and you're coming to this point, and Jesus has been preaching the truth, and now he grieves because it's not like he didn't try. It's not like the word was not proclaimed. And now we get to the point where we see Jesus do what we're going to talk about quite a bit is lament. Not be, because, well, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Woolrabi spoke about this. Why? Because he loves his people. And so let's hear those words right now and keep it. I'm reminder to our listeners, think about this word lament what it meant for Jesus, and also what it means for us as Christian people. 37 through 39, I'll read. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children under as a hen gathers her brood, under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, Pastor, it says in the title um, in the English Standard Version, it says, Lament Over Jerusalem. Describe that to us, because uh, let's be honest, we don't go around talking, oh, I just, I'm lamenting today very often. So, what's Jesus, what's happening for Jesus right now? So, lament is this, you know, crying out in the face of, of suffering and sorrow, kind of the emotion of the moment just wells up. And it gives expression to this, this crying out, this lament. And here is Jesus in Jerusalem looking over this city, and, and his, his heart is filled with sorrow uh, because he knows what is coming, and he knows why it's happening. And, and, and as you said earlier, um, you know, here, here is you know, the history of God reaching out to his people in their 
stubborn sinfulness going all the way back to to when God called out and 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 asked, you know, where are you to Adam and Eve who are hiding in the Garden of Eden? God has been reaching out to his people and, and there's the the message of the Old Testament prophets, you know, come back to God, you know, come back to God. And 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 one of my favorites is is from Ezekiel. You mentioned Jeremiah, uh, which is a great example. And in Ezekiel there's this this question that is asked, uh, why will you die, O house of Israel. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And you can you just hear this calling, this pleading, this this urging. And and you can sort of say that this is really the the whole motivation behind Jesus' lament and the sorrow that he that he feels as he is there in Jerusalem. That that really exemplifies, you know, Jesus' whole mission and purpose is to gather the wayward. He's, he's there to, to gather people back into a right relationship with God. They've wandered off into sin. They've wandered off into destruction and doom. And Jesus is there to provide a path back into that right relationship with God. And the, the tragedy is, uh, is that there are, there are so many, too many both then and now that simply say, you know, thanks, but, but no thanks. Right. They just sort of turn their back on it. And that, and that breaks Jesus heart as he stands there in, in Jerusalem, as he, as he cries out, I've, I've wanted to gather you together. That's why I'm here is to bring you together. Like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. And this, I mean, the visual is, is wonderful. Now, like you said, you kind of grew up in the country and I didn't realize this. One of our members has like a, a, a pumpkin patch. And with that, they, they have chickens and they, you know, it's fun for the kids to grab some bread and throw it to the chickens. And, and I never realized the fullness of this until one time I was there and one of my kids runs up towards the fence and is like going crazy. And then the mother, the mother hen kind of called out and all of a sudden all those little ones literally disappeared under her <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, that's what they're talking about. You know, cause I always heard it and I thought it was more like they would gather around her. That was about it. But the, I mean, we're talking actual covering where you don't even know that there's little chicks underneath her. So pastor, any, any, any reflections on that and what that means about what God wants to do for his people? What does that show us? He is, he is looking to provide that place of, of shelter, comfort, peace, hope, uh, in a world that is just chaotic and and dangerous, and and there's where sort of our lament comes in as we, as we look at the world around us, and you don't have to look too far to to see it, right? I mean, just the 24-hour news cycle, and even then, you don't have to look that far. You can just look in our own our own lives, our own communities, our own families. There's there's pain, and there's suffering, and there's people making you know, bad choices and destructive choices and things that are just going to end badly. And as we see all of that, that pain, that, that suffering, violence, injustice, sickness, death, you know, what else can we do but, but lament uh, to cry out in the face of all this, uh, you know, God, you know, be who you, who you say you are, do what you have promised. We know that that the brokenness in the world is not what you want. We know that, that suffering and sickness and death is not part of your design. Uh, we need we need your help. We need you to step in 
and and intervene and and make things right again. And I think lament puts us in that kind of right orientation because if I were to kind of think of okay, what is maybe the the opposite of lament or what is sort of a, a reaction to to pain or suffering or sickness or struggles, you name it. What are a couple of other avenues that we might have? Well, some of us might might sort of have that, especially those of us maybe that come from you know, sort of certain European stock, kind of that stoic, just kind of set our face. You know, we're just going to sort of just power through it, and uh, you know, don't let anybody see us cry. We're not going to we're not going to show fear. We're just going to you know just try to make it as as far and as fast as we as we can go under our own steam, right? Just, just try to power through the difficulty. And the trouble is with that is, of course, you know, that kind of self-generated momentum may get us a little bit, but eventually, you know, the pressures around us are going to just bring us to a grinding halt and it's going to overwhelm us. And then there's the other side, I think, that is this kind of idea that if we just do the right things, if we just get everything organized in the right way here on earth, then we can overcome sin and sadness and death and all of that. We can, we can just do all these things that will, that will right all these wrongs and make the world kind of this utopia of sorts, right? If we just elect the right people and the right, uh, the right choices and we just kind of get all these, you know, put all of our ducks in a row, so to speak, then, then pain and suffering is going to go away. But again, we, we underestimate the, the, the depth of the brokenness of this world. And both of those two options keep the focus on us, right? They keep the focus on ourselves. You know, what can I do in order to fix things? Or how far can I go if I just sort of, you know, grin and bear these difficulties? But lament recognizes the, the severity of pain and sickness and suffering in the world. And it looks to the place where there is real help and real hope. And that is in God, because a Christian's lament isn't just sort of a hopeless cry in the face of suffering, but it's a cry to God to say, God, you know, step in and, and make things right as only you can. And, and that's what Jesus uh, has come to do as his eyes are looking towards uh, what's going to happen there in Jerusalem not too long from now. It is fascinating uh, how you well, how you broke that down is that lament is admitting, in essence, and tell me if I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly and, and saying it correctly, because I think it's, it's so helpful. Lament is admitting that this world is broken without denying God, without denying um, the brokenness that, you know, that we see in Christ with his, with the cross and the resurrection, but it's admitting that this world is still yet broken and he's given us a way to be able to reave that out or get that out in our lives. <laughs> um, because, because we know where the hope is in a broken Christ who has risen from the dead, but yet we still grieve in this life. Is that, is that a fair way of, of, of putting that out? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. And it follows the pattern that we have. At least we kind of look at the Old Testament and then here again in, in Jesus, how many Psalms are kind of crying out, you know, how long, oh Lord, you know, uh, these things are happening and, and we see the, 
the, the weight of sin and death and evil surrounds us. It encroaches us. We need you, O Lord, to step in and make things right for the, the book of Lamentations. So here's a whole mm-hmm. book of, of laments, right? And in the middle of that book, we can still say, even in a fallen, broken, sinful world, uh, the mercies of God are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, because we know God is with us through these difficulties. And in Jesus, the one who stands in Jerusalem, laments over Jerusalem and the, the destructive choices that the people and the religious leaders are going to make and have been making, there's still going to be hope because Jesus is going to continue that path to the cross. That's what I'd encourage you, our listeners, is that in the book of Psalms, there are, well, I, I was looking up one book on the Psalms, and it said there are 64 Psalms that we would consider to be lament Psalms. Could even be more than that, but they're both individual and communal Psalms um, that, like just like Pastor said, how long, O Lord, is, is how many of them start or emphasize throughout, that for us as Christians, it's okay to lament, as Pastor has said so well. And this is a good encouragement, too, that if you feel like you just have this angst within you and surrounding you, well, I guess we all have a great place to go is one church where we can lament and grieve publicly, but also maybe to go to your pastor or other people that work in your church to speak about the ability to lament. Because from there, we know we have a God that has healing in his wings. So I want to talk a little bit more about that before we move on to the end times. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew 23 and 24 with Pastor Michael Potchmidt, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew 23 and 24 with Pastor Michael Potchmidt of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Concordia, Missouri. Now, Pastor, we, I mean, we could probably really dig into this Lamentations piece for the rest of our time, but I just wanted to make sure before we get to the next portion, which actually relates to the lament, when we see Jesus lament, is there anything else you want to highlight as Jesus um, laments over Jerusalem? I, I think the thing that that might be sort of a way to kind of tie this up and and move into this next section, chapter twenty four here, is the fact that he is he ends this section here, verse thirty nine. I tell you, you won't you will not see me again until you say, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Now, Palm Sunday has already happened. That uh, Palm Sunday parade and that cry of, of Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord has already taken place there. But this is Jesus looking forward to that last day when finally uh, us and all of creation will be, will be made right. You know, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And here is 
here is Jesus saying there's going to come a time when this world as we know it and all the difficulties that are part of it will come to an end and then all people will recognize I'm the one who who has come to make things right and that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, let's continue on to chapter 24. That's a great segue as we look at when Jesus leaves the temple, it's almost like he leaves the temple, looks up and again, and has a point to make. Verse, verse one of chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to the point out, came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And he answered them, you see all these, don't, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, Pastor, I have a little bit of a vision here just because I've, I've been to your congregation as you walk downtown Concordia and your congregation is really, I guess you would say, like a temple in the middle of a small town. It's just this beautiful structure. And I have this vision of of you walk out one day and someone says, this is beautiful. And you say, someday it'll all be destroyed. I wonder how the reaction would be at that point. But that's a visual for me as I look at this. And what is Jesus trying to teach here? So here is Jesus highlighting the fact that at the time, that beautiful structure was really just kind of a, a hollow shell of what God intended it to be, right? The the temple had lost its its spiritual significance. It was no longer, you know, pointing people to Jesus as the Messiah that, that once for all sacrifice, it was, it was kind of, we might say, uh, you know, kind of a monument to, to human passion rather than divine, divine prerogative. It's kind of what Jesus was talking about with the, the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. They had kind of the external forms of religion, but it had lost the heart of what God truly intended and that eventually was going to all come come crumbling down around them quite literally that temple uh in 70 a.d but uh, but this is i think more than than just about the temple just our kind of human constructions and kind of the, the self-made monuments that uh, that we make they eventually are going to crumble away and, and topple around us, these, these kind of human things that we hold on to, sadly, sometimes more than God, those things are going to come and go. Uh, and are we, are we storing up for ourselves, you know, treasures in heaven or treasures on earth where Jesus said, you know, lost and rust destroy where thieves break in and, st- and steal? Are we neglecting those, those heavenly resources? And Jesus is pointing to the temple, just like you said, this this huge, impressive structure. And yeah, St. Paul's here in Concordia, you know, beautiful sanctuary built in 1905 and just an impressive place to look at. But it's it's not about the building or kind of these impressive structures, but is our hearts oriented to God in faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's what was missing at the time. And that was part of, there's goes back to that lament that Jesus had in Jerusalem. They They had the Savior right there but uh, but they pushed him away. And that the the reaction it doesn't tell us really much about the reaction from the disciples. I'm guessing shock as it would be at Concordia Missouri if you were to say something along those lines. Shock but definitely points us 
um, that something that we all need to be reminded of that, you know, just like in a, a, a mighty fortress is our God, you know, uh, they take my life, goods, fame, child, and wife, though all these things be gone, our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And that's something that we all need a reminder for throughout our lives. And I also was thinking about this quite a bit because there's a lot of temple talk as we go through Holy Week. And it always brings me back to John chapter 2 when, when he looks at the temple and says, destroy this temple in the three days, I will raise it up, reminding us that Jesus is that temple um, for us. And this is why we, we worship him. So any thoughts on that? And before we move on to the next book in times. Yeah, this is Jesus, you know, reorienting his followers, us included to, to kind of keep our eyes focused on those eternal things and, and not hold so closely, so tightly to these human things that we have, you know, because after a few generations, you know, what's left behind, what is, what is remembered, um, you know, what you think about garage sales or rummage sales or estate sales, our most prized possessions will eventually get sold off for cents on the dollar, or we've got to have ancestry.com to help us think about, uh, you know, ancestors who have come and gone before us. And, and if, if this earthly life and it's the stuff of this earthly life and the things that kind of wow us in this earthly life are all that we have and that we hold on to, are we neglecting then those eternal gifts that, that God offers and that, that persevere through the ups and downs of this life? It's, it's that gift of God, his grace, his mercy, his love. Those are gifts that are with us through the, the joys and the sorrows of life. And that's the, the anchor that we have through this life. And what a great time to talk about that during the season of Lent, where we all need to repent, because that's definitely something we all need to center our eyes back on Christ. And Jesus makes this transition from, you know, foretelling the destruction of the temple and then gets to a hot topic that was then, but is clearly still today. So I encourage our listeners, as you hear these words, we let the words of Christ clearly speak. We're not going to try to add a little bit here or add a little bit there. Does this relate to this country? Does this relate to what's in the newspaper? Does this relate to that? Let's let Jesus's words speak. And then ask from that, Lord, help us to understand. So it's about the signs of the close of the age, beginning in verse 3, and I'll read through verse 8. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So, Pastor, he leads to the signs of the close of the age. This is vital for us to be able to look at this with, I'd say, Christ goggles, to see it clearly, to make sure we're not misinterpreting the precious words that he gives to us. So how do you want to start us off to make sure we're doing this in the right way? I think it's, uh, I think it's important, and you highlighted it well, the fact that this section can be so confusing and, and can really just kind of boggle our minds. And it was certainly true, I think, for 
the disciples who first heard this as well, because what they did in their question, so in verse 3, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age. So the disciples want to connect the destruction of the temple right away with, okay, this is the coming of the age, right? This is the, the sign of Jesus coming again. And they want to put those two together. When in actuality, I think there's there's kind of two separate pieces here. And Jesus wants to be clear that we're not supposed to be kind of reading the tea leaves, so to speak. We're not here to try to discern and, and he's not giving us a, a timeline or sort of when exactly the end of the world is going to come. And we just, you know, check the boxes where we've We've seen this sign. We've seen that sign. We've seen this sign. So that means it must be happening right now because Jesus said, uh, instead, he, he gives us uh, some things that we are to be doing and not doing in the meantime, as we look forward to and anticipate his coming again and the close of the age. So what does he tell us not to do? And what does he tell us to do as we look for the, as we see the signs of the end of the age? So the first thing that he talks about, verse four, see that no one leads you astray, right? Um, this is, it's going to be so easy for voices to, to pull us in the wrong direction and recognize that there are going to be voices that they claim to speak for God and for Jesus, but these are, these are false Christ. These are false teachers. And the, the preceding verses prior to our text today in the chapters of these, these gro- this growing conflict with Jesus and the religious leaders, it just it literally shows what happens when, when theology goes awry. You're, you're saying the right words, but the, the outcome is not what, what God intended here, right? And so Jesus is saying there are going to be false Christ. There are going to be false teachers. There's going to be scary things that are happening. Again, this world is, is dealing with that curse of sin and death, but don't be alarmed. Jesus says, don't, don't be frightened here of, of these things. Um, these are, he says in verse eight, this is just the beginning of, of the birth pains. And this, uh, I think brings to mind, um, a passage from Romans, Chapter 8, how all of creation is looking forward to the, the full arrival of the kingdom of God. In Romans 8, Paul says the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, Adam, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're still in that now, not yet of, of our salvation, right? We're, we have God's gifts we still live in this broken, sinful world. And as we deal with that brokenness, we can, we can still have hope. We do not lose heart uh, because we know that there is still good coming because God is still God and he is in control and he has given us his gifts specifically in the person of Jesus. And now that is 
when I think about the birth pains and you connect it wonderfully to Romans eight, because it talks about that groaning and you have, you have children. So you, you know, there's groaning, obviously our wives understand it even more than we do. Um, but there's that groaning and we see that groaning in our world all the time. And so pastor, how would you describe how we as Christian people can look in the world and, and obviously we don't want to go into despair, but we can easily see, okay, there is the birth pains that we see in our lives. Can you give us some examples or thoughts that we see in our world today? I think as we, as we scroll through the news, as we, as we look on social media and we see stories of, of difficulty and hardship, as we know of people in our lives that are dealing with, with suffering of various kinds, and we ourselves uh, feel that in our own bodies and uh, our, own, our own hearts and minds are, are racked with suffering and guilt and grief, in those moments, it can, it can easily feel like you know, sin and evil are winning. And where is God in that moment? That takes us back to that idea of lament. Don't just, don't try to grin and, grin and bear it. Don't, don't try to fix it ourselves. Just kind of a temporary bandage over what is far too severe for us just to bandage or paper over. But we look to God, we cry out to God, and he holds Jesus in front of us and says, there, there is help, there is hope, there is a future where the wrongs of this world are taken away, and this whole creation is made right again. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This world will be set right again. And Jesus says, you know, hold on, don't lose heart. Um, there's, there's something good coming. Um, so, so stick, stick with me because it's, it's on its way. One of the interesting, uh, realities that I read recently on this is obviously birth pains are a sign of the fall. You know, that, that pain is there because of the fall of Adam and Eve. But we also get this language in other parts where it talks about the birth pains that are there, but we know there is something better to happen. So you go, uh, or are our, our mothers go through these birth pains, but at the end, they forget about those birth pains because they have the child in their, in their hands. They have the joy of this new life, if you will. And, and for us as Christians, I think that language, I never thought about this connection. I have, but not, not, not as thoroughly as now, that the birth pains we're going through now shows us that there's something still yet better to come. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's that it's that uh, the the dissonance that we feel right now means that we're kind of looking for when that uh, when when the 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 discord the the conflict the difficulty we know there's going to be a resolution we know there's going to be restoration and so the fact that that we feel and we experience these things now it uh, it keeps us focused on the fact that there there is this future where those, those bad, evil, sinful things, grief and pain and all tears are, are gone away. There is hope and help that we have uh, for, for the future. And we, we hold on in those moments, recognizing that, that yes, that good thing is, is still coming uh, and, and God is still with us and his good gifts uh, are still, they're still ours. And so pastor, we'll talk more about this the rest of our time, but one of the big questions that will come up, and I, and I hear it often when we get into this part of the text, is, for example, there's a war in Ukraine. Pastor, I don't think it's going to be long 
before Jesus returns, and this can be very anxious for people. How would you encourage our, our, our listeners or your members of your congregation when a war becomes? I know growing up it was Iraq and, and, and for Vietnam and World War One and Two. All these common people say, I think Jesus is coming soon, and that can bring a lot of anxiety. How would you encourage and care for the souls that have anxiety for something like that and for our listeners today? Absolutely. I think it is, um, it's important to, to reflect on the fact that this is, yeah, this is not the first war. There have been others, and this, this is a pattern that human history has gone through. We've, we've got times of peace and times of war, and times of peace, and times of war. But in the moment, rather than fixating on on the the war, or the conflict, or the difficulty, and, and thinking, well, this, this checks the box for this sign of the end times, or that ch- checks the box for that sign, uh, instead, uh, we lift our eyes above the difficulties of this world, and keep those eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing that whenever he comes again, whether that's Soon or rather than later, uh, we our eyes should be should be looking at at him rather than trying to to guess the time or the moment of his return. And that's that's what it means to be ready is to keep our eyes fixed fixed on him. It's easy for the for the news to to kind of distract us or for the the wars or the difficulties that we see to begin to overwhelm us, and we start to fixate on those. When again, God's lifting our eyes to say, look at look at Jesus the one who promises there will be an end to all of this and he will come again. Be ready by keeping your eyes fixed on him. Let's continue through the rest of our text because there's there's some parts here. We want to make sure we have time. We have just over 10 minutes left in our time. Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, Pastor, when we hear this, this can be quite... um, quite scary as we hear these words. And it's important for us to be able to go through these faiths like, like we have been doing. But even I, when I read this, I've read this many, many times, it can kind of raise my blood pressure a little bit. How do you, how do you want to teach us to teach us to this, um, to us faithfully so that we all get anxious, but not in despair? Right, right. Jesus here is is really going back to a message that he's he's talked about uh, before with them. The fact that his followers are going to experience the same kind of conflict and confrontation that he himself experienced, and so that rising conflict that we see throughout Matthew's gospel ever since his arrival in Jerusalem and the the growing conflict with the religious leaders in the world around him, we the body of Christ in the world today, we still are going to experience that conflict and confrontation. In John's gospel, chapter 15, uh, he tells his followers, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So where our Savior goes, we follow, even through suffering and death. And that's that's not a pleasant thing to think about. Uh, It's not enjoyable. It doesn't make me happy to think about the fact that, that there is tribulation and threats of death and hatred, all because I'm a follower of Jesus. When I follow in Jesus' footsteps through that suffering, through that threat of death, through death itself, knowing that I also follow Jesus into his resurrection and everlasting life. And, and there's, there's where my hope is, not in peace and calm and tranquility here on earth today, but the fact that there is the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. Where Jesus goes, I follow. And ultimately, it's to that paradise. And it, it definitely is something where <laughs> that we know, we know the end of the story. And I, I know a lot of times we don't reflect on that enough. I know I don't reflect on that enough, that, that, that the best is still yet to come as kind of a quip that we will use quite often. But also with that, and, and I want to hear more about this from you is, and you said this is there's that perseverance understanding or verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I'm reminded of, um, in, in Romans chapter five, that not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, endurance produces character and character produces hope. And our hope will not be put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And, and that shows us that, that, that perseverance piece, the, uh, um, uh, endure till the end understanding of everything. And, and how would you, uh, how would you unpack that for somebody? Cause that can be quite taxing. Even after you hear all these words and you say, I have to fight even harder. I got to do this. And they might even be led to more despair. What would you, what would you say to them? I know there's, there's some Christians out there and, and sometimes I, I get this own this mindset in myself as well, that. Well, because I am a child of God, uh, I should be exempt from this difficulty, this pain, this suffering. And so uh, it really kind of uh, sends us for a loop when something comes our way that really kind of rocks, rocks our world and pulls the rug out from under us. And, and we start to think, well, well, you know, golly, doesn't, uh, doesn't God love me? Doesn't God care? Uh, doesn't he, doesn't he, isn't he going to bless me uh, now and here? When in actuality, it's those, it's those sufferings. It's that difficulty that, that draws us ever closer to Jesus. In the good times, it's easy for me to drift away to my own sort of self-satisfaction or to think that I'm you know, kind of making a home for myself in this world when in actuality God says, no, not, not this world. This is not, your, this is not your home. There is an eternal future that I have made for you. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Yes, in this world, but ultimately in that life of the world to come. And so uh, he's calling us to, yes, in, endure these things, not in a hopeless way, uh, not, in a, not in a way that, uh, that says, you know, there, there is no good, God is gone, um, there's, there's nothing for me, no, no, no source of joy. Uh, instead, uh, we, especially here in, in this point in Matthew's gospel, as Jesus is in, in the week, holy week, he's, he's looking towards Calvary's cross, um, there is the source and the completion of our hope of Jesus, his gifts at Calvary and Easter's open empty tomb. There's where we hold on to in those moments. Uh, there's, there's our source of hope 
for us in those difficult times. As the hymn says, fight the good fight with all your might. Christ is your strength and Christ your right. Um, and that is, I think that really summarizes exactly what you just said is to, I guess you say, hold on tight. That is where your hope is. And you said it before. I think it relates to uh, Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, Pastor, in the last few minutes we have here, we're about four minutes left in our time, the last verse it can be an interpretive key that misleads people, not necessarily in a horrible way, but in a way that misunderstands our role and everything. So verse 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I'm just going to say something that I've heard this said before, and I remember it kind of perked my ears a little bit. I was like, is that true? Where someone could look at that and say, okay, that's why we need to, once every single person in the world has heard the gospel, then Jesus will come back. Like it's a prescriptive mathematical equation. Once that happens, Jesus comes. And what would you say to that explanation? This is another one of those places where we should not use this as kind of a checkbox to make sure that all of the boxes are checked for the signs of the end of times. But we've had wars. We've had rumors of wars. There's been persecution of Christians. And we've gotten the gospel out to every person. So now we've got all the boxes checked. Jesus is going to come tomorrow. Okay, we're ready to go. Instead, what this is, is rather than kind of that checkbox and another sort of way to kind of mark Jesus' arrival, the timing of his arrival in the world, this is one of those places where Jesus says, here's how you occupy yourself in this time that we have until he comes again, until the close of the age. Jesus says his people are going to be carrying the gospel message uh, out to reach more and more people with the good news of the Savior. And I think this has a, a bit of a connection back again to back to Jesus' lament, that ongoing call to repentance for salvation. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, working together with him, with God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation or another sort of old hymn, delay not, delay not. This is, this is the time now to hear and receive the gospel in faith. The church takes that message out, that call of repentance of this is that moment. And in Second Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That, that ongoing reach of God into the world, to that, that mother hen trying to gather her brood under her wings, that's, that's still going on right now as the ministry of the church continues, calling people to repentance, pointing people to Jesus. There is still time for more to hear this good news. Let's use the time that we have until Jesus comes back, whenever that is, whether that's sooner or later, we use this time to proclaim Jesus and demonstrate his love to our neighbors and the world. Pastor, in about 30 seconds left in our time, how would you summarize our text today and encourage our listeners? So this text here is, you know, Jesus' heart of love for his people and his desire to gather them into his 
his grace, receive his grace, receive his goodness, and receive that salvation. And here we are as a part of that, both under the, the protective wing of God, but also a part of God's ongoing reach into the world. And praise God for his goodness. That, uh, that through the difficulties of life, we have this anchor, we have this hope, and we have a place in extending that love of God to those who still need to hear it. Pastor Michael Potschmidt of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Concordia, Missouri, giving us God's strong word from Matthew 23 and 24. Pastor Potschmidt, thank you for bringing us his gifts. You're very welcome. My pleasure. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.